Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh Lipstone, and this is Explain This Book to Me. Today is book three, episode six, and I am joined one final time by the author of the book, Influence People, Brian Haver. Brian, this is the final episode for us. So if you could go back to our first episode, what do you think we should do the same, and what do you think we should have done differently in this series? Um... I don't know that anything jumps out. This is by far the most in-depth podcast series that I've done on the book. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like we've missed anything. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to talk about a whole lot more. I I don't Mm -hmm. want to give everything away. I want people to go buy the book. But yes, um, this is certainly a very, and when I say a different podcast, I've been on over 70 podcasts and mm-hmm. it was completely unique in the depth that you've gone into the book. So I think things have been really, really good. And I will miss talking to you on a daily basis when yeah. we're today. I know, I know. I'll have to uh, make a trip up to Columbus to to see you in person sometime. So I have a few other friends in that area and it's a, it's a beautiful area to live. It is. It's it's wonderful today. As I was saying earlier, it's going to be a, just a gorgeous, gorgeous fall day, low humidity, Temperatures probably in the upper 60s, low 70s, sunny, no clouds at all. It's going to be an awesome day. Oh, that sounds nice. Hopefully you get to spend some time outside later this afternoon and enjoy that beautiful weather. Well, good. Well, for those of you who are keeping score at home, we are recording this episode on Monday, September 14th, 2020. And the next sections of the book that we'll be discussing is influence in social media and, but wait, there's more. Um, Now, before we get into today's episode, if you've not listened to the first five, then hit pause, go download them, listen to them, and then come back to this episode. So let's go ahead and for the final time, get started with explaining this book to me for the book Influence People. So the first section is influence in social media. We're not going to cover each topic that you write about in this section. So if the loyal readers, if you haven't already, which I know you have, but if you haven't, which is a little confusing, just go out and make sure you buy a copy of Brian's book um, so you can get the ones that we didn't cover in this one, this section, and then the next section. Um, And as a disclaimer, Brian has not asked me to you know, ask you loyal readers to go out buy the book. He's not paying me. If you do buy the book, I don't even know how he would track that to say, oh, Josh, we had five, you know, 50 new purchases of the book because of the podcast. That would be cool if we could, but um, he's not paying me or anything like that. So let's begin um, getting into this section. So you begin this section by writing that social media connects us with people in ways not possible in the past. And you've been able to make friends around the world because of Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and that you're able to actually meet these connections when you are traveling. And the stories that we're going to go over uh, will give the loyal readers in, uh, insight into how they can make it happen for them, just like they did for you. Okay. Uh, so the first one we have is personal branding. So you write that up until recently, individuals have not paid attention to the importance of personal branding in the same way that businesses have paid attention to their own branding. Mm-hmm. And this came to light by a former coworker, James C. Is that how you say his last name? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. There we go. So one for one today. So James was with state auto insurance for many years and took a leave of absence to serve our country in Iraq. So thank you, James, for your service to this country. When he came back home, he brought a personal passion for personal branding, and this led him to creating workshops for state auto insurance employees. And I love the sentence that you write on page 104, which is, Sometimes hard work and doing a great job aren't enough because that's stable stakes. In other words, they're what's expected in today's workplace. So, Brian, what advice can you give to someone who's in sales that will allow them to use their personal brand to put them ahead of their competition? Okay. Uh, Well, the first thing would be you have to determine what your brand is. Mm -hmm. When I was working at the insurance company and I had gone through James's uh, training, 
he asked all kinds of questions to get us to think about what is some of our uniqueness? What are we trying to do in our careers and our lives? And I came up with a personal brand at the time. And my slogan was, when it needs to be done well. Mm-hmm. And that tied back to my personal mission statement, which starts with the overarching um, aim that when I die, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. And so as I thought about that, I and re- reflected on my life, everything that I've done, um, I, I don't labor under the false assumption that um, I am going to be the best in the world at uh, when I was bodybuilding or when I was running marathons. But what I wanted to know was, how good can I become if I really dedicate this to myself? So everything I've ever done, I want to do it well. I want to do it to the best of my ability. So I I really felt like that was a good personal brand. And what I started doing then was it was on every email auto signature Mm -hmm. right above my name. It would say when it needs to be done well, when I would answer the phone in my uh, voicemail, if you happen to call my office and I wasn't uh, able to get to the phone, the first thing you would have heard was, do you need something done well? Then you've mm-hmm. come to the right place. Hi, this is Brian. I'm away from my desk. And, but but everybody heard that. And Josh, where I knew it was working was when people would email me and mm-hmm. say, I need something done well, LOL. Or they leave a voicemail and say, Hey, I need you to do something well for me. Ha, ha, ha. This is Lester. Give me a call. Mm-hmm. When they did that, I realized I had changed their thinking. And that's what branding is all about. Can you get the people that you interact with to think about you in the way that you want? And hopefully that's a very positive way that reinforces them wanting to come back to you time and time again. So for me, that's the difference. It didn't change. I mean, I was working hard and, and doing mm-hmm. everything to the best of my ability but I really raised it to the consciousness of everybody that I was interacting with. Well, that's good. Yeah, that uh, that, that takes uh, into account what we were going to discuss next about um, how your personal message or personal brand uh, resonated with people and how uh, people would basically say it back to you and, and creating yeah. that positive experience. And I have to say this too, that uh, somebody mm-hmm. who was a roommate of mine in college, mm-hmm. he left me a voicemail one day and he was laughing. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm in sugar shock. I need, I, I need insulin now. After hearing that message, ha ha ha. Hey, Brian, it's Bob. Give me a call back. Mm-hmm. And so when I called him, and he said, he goes, I want to be serious for a moment. Mm-hmm. He goes, if I didn't know you, and I heard that message, I'd say that's a guy I want to hire. Mm-hmm. And then he started laughing because of our history. He goes, yeah, but then it was you, ha ha. Yeah. But but that really, again, it spoke to the fact that here's this guy who recognized, man, that, that had such an impact on me. I'd be saying, I want to hire this guy. Well, there was one other story that you talked about or wrote about in the book regarding uh, Gerald Ladner, mm-hmm. uh, who was the regional vice president in state auto. And what happened when he actually met you for the first time in person, because you guys had emailed a lot and spoken on the phone. But what was it that he said when you first met him in person? This was awesome, too, because he was a regional vice president. There were five of them. And in front of everybody, in this big, booming voice that he has, he said, I got to meet the guy who says he's going to do it well. And everybody heard that, and he came over and shook my hand, and we had this nice little conversation about that. But he he was very complimentary about, you know, you're putting yourself on the line every single time you say that. What I also recognized is because I put myself on the line, that part started to change how I did my work. I was more conscious of not wanting to let anyone down. I never wanted somebody to come back and go, hey, you say you're going to do it well, and this was pretty crappy. Yeah. It never happened. But that's good. Um, So then you tie back to the principles of influence with personal branding by writing that when you advertise yourself, like you just said, you have a reputation to uphold and utilize the principle of consistency. And when you live up to the personal brand, it adds to your authority, which is another principle of influence. Um, So, Brian, before we end this section, I'd like for your advice to business owners out there regarding their employees establishing their own personal brand. So I've attended many conferences, workshops, webinars, where a business owner will kind of voice a concern about an employee establishing their own personal brand outside of the businesses, and then even them potentially leaving to start their own company. Mm -hmm. So what advice could you give to the business owners about their hesitation for having their employees 
create their own personal brand? Um, I think if you're doing anything to dissuade it, you're going to lose uh, an opportunity to build loyalty. Okay. Uh, most people, I mean, you just got to be realistic. Most people are not going to stay in the job with the company that they're at for extended periods. It's, it's very different than when I first started in business 30 plus years ago. You did generally find a company or two and you stayed a long time. That's not the, that's not the norm now. So the question is, how can I get the most out of this individual uh, while they choose to stay here? And I think you get more out of the whole loyalty aspect if you support them. And, and I say that from experience, that where I worked when I established influence people about almost 12 years ago outside of state auto, my boss did nothing but support me because he recognized anytime I was training outside of state auto, and I was never training competitors, and that we were very clear, you know, you're not gonna work with other insurance companies or agencies that don't represent us, but everything else and things outside of insurance, go for it, take your personal time. But I realized that um, he recognized every time I got ready for a training session and I put forth that effort, I was a better trainer for state auto. Every time I got ready for public speaking and all the speaking I was doing, I was a better speaker for the company. You know, writing a blog for over 10 years by the time I left, I was a much better writer for the company. So the company was benefiting tremendously by my pursuit of this outside brand that I was building. Um, and, and that really made me even more loyal to my boss. So I think if you do it well, you can support people and, and they may end up leaving, that's okay. They'll probably also help you recruit somebody uh, that can fill that position and then you go back to what you've always done. Well, very good. Well, uh, business owners, that if you've had that sort of hesitation or that question or that concern, hopefully Brian's uh, personal experience will give you the confidence that you can allow your employees to go ahead and have them build their own personal brand. And, and I would like to say this too, mm -hmm. my brand, um, you know, when I established it at the company was in alignment with the company. I mean, what, it, what boss doesn't want their employee to advertise they're going to do everything well. Exactly. Um, what I was doing outside of state auto and, and the, the uh, brand for my company is helping you hear yes. I mean, that's what I do when I teach people about influence, but that's also what I was doing at the company as I was doing all of the sales training and, and sales coaching and things. So it there was no conflict of what my brand was outside the company and what I was being called to do inside the company. If, a, if an employer felt there was a conflict, then you need to sit down and have that conversation about why and see what resolution you can come up to. That makes sense. So just like we've done in past episodes and in past parts of the book, you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. Consider building your own personal brand. Advertising it will engage the principle of consistency and keep you accountable to do a good job. Further, it will build the perception in the eyes of others of your expertise and authority over the course of time. So the next uh, part that we'll be discussing is once upon a time, a good Twitter lesson. So you start this section by writing that you learned a good lesson on Twitter when you were attempting to promote a blog series. And at that time you had about 1200 followers and you would on a regular basis have people who would retweet your post. So you decided to ask for help by DMing your followers who had retweeted your posts in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and you write that since you were new to social media at the time, you didn't know about unwritten rules. And it actually bothered someone so much that they posted the following tweet at Brian Aher, please don't DM me articles and then ask me to retweet them. Hashtag tacky, hashtag unfollow. So the person that tweeted you, um, they actually did unfollow you, which meant you were unable to DM them to kind of work things out. So this left you with two options. You could be like Elsa and just let it go or try to work it out in public. And so you chose the latter. Um, now, before you did that, you actually turned to a friend for advice. Um, Brian, can you talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with people that you can call upon for advice in the future? Um, so my friend I turned to was Paul Aber, and uh, Paul was a lot further along with social media than I was, and I just wanted to get some perspective on it. I'll, I'll be honest that when that person basically put out into the public space, you're tacky, and everybody who sees this should unfollow this guy, 
I was pissed. I mean, mm-hmm. if I would have seen him, I, I my natural instinct would have been to confront him and, you know, what the hell are you doing? And um, But I also have learned enough that uh, while I can't always change how I feel like instantaneously in the moment, I can choose how I'm going to respond to it. So I made the choice to contact Paul and get some perspective and then decide what's the best way to go about handling this. And I decided that I wanted to put into practice all the things that I teach people and see, can I turn this thing around? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, And being able to reach out to others who have that experience will help you leverage. And I like how you said that you may not be able to instantly change how you feel, but it's the reaction because that's something that I struggle with trying to change my instant reaction, but being able to change how I respond is something that that I'm continuing to work on. So thank you for that advice. Now we're going to get back to your Twitter lesson. Um, And what I'm going to do is give the loyal readers kind of the back and forth of the tweets, and then we'll discuss them. So after you talked with Paul, you tweeted at name, I was looking for help from folks who retweeted posts in the past. Wasn't trying to be tacky. You could have contacted to discuss. And he responded with, at Brian Ahern, I am of the school of thought that folks will retweet what they think is interesting. Put the info out there and we'll find spread it. You responded with, at name, appreciate the response. Please accept apology. I am learning as I go, like many others, didn't mean to offend all good. And here, here was his final response. At Brian Ahern, aren't we all still learning? Your explanation helped me to understand your methods. Thanks for following up. So, Brian, can you explain to the readers a couple things that you learned from this Twitter exchange? First, can you explain what principles of influence you use to gain a positive outcome? And then second, can you tell us what happened between you and the person after that last uh, tweet that I read? Yeah. So um, one of the principles that was engaged is authority. Mm-hmm. We gain authority status with people quite often when we're willing to admit weakness. And so I just put it out there that, you know, maybe I maybe I blew that. Um, and so I, I gain trust in doing that. You know, you're seen as a little bit more humble. You're not just trying to defend yourself and point back and go, hey, you're a jerk. And um, so I think that that played into it, too, my willingness to to say that. I think the principle of liking comes into play a little bit, you know, about, you know, we're all learning. And then he says, aren't we all right? Okay, now mm-hmm. we're both the same. And so both of those combined into a positive exchange. And then ultimately the resolution was he he let his followers know that, hey, you know, Brian's a good guy and you should give him a follow. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. So I said, hey, you know what, if you're ever in the Columbus area, be happy to take you out for a beer or a coffee. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I ended up I ended up meeting him. And what was interesting too, Josh, was he he wasn't a confrontational individual. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I think sometimes social media creates a little bit of that, like people who drive in their car and, and act and do things that they would probably never do if they were mm-hmm. sitting next to you. But you feel insulated or slightly hidden. Uh, so you become a little bolder. And I really felt like that might have been the case with him because he turned out to be a wonderful guy. And we have still, all these years later, remain in contact. I don't see him a lot because he doesn't live in Columbus. It's a little bit mm-hmm. of a drive to come in here. But I really appreciated that during COVID, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm just reaching out to some friends to see how you're doing. You know, I've got a lot of other friends who never did that. And I don't, I don't think less of them, but it really stood out that Here's this guy that my relationship started in conflict, and now he thinks enough to reach out during a time that's really stressful. So I I, I look at that and I just say, man, what a win. If, yeah. if more people would just acknowledge the truth of how they feel, but say, I, I don't have to react to it. I'm going to choose how to respond. And let's see if we can turn this around. I think we'd have so much less conflict than we do right now. Agreed. I, I completely agree with that. So you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. There are several morals to the story. First, when you are highly emotional, don't do anything rash because it usually doesn't turn out well. Next, turn to a trusted friend to help you sort out the situation and your thinking. Third, if you are able to resolve the issue, take one more step and try building a friendship. You can see it turned out well for me, so I'll close the way that most good stories do. And that's all's well that ends well, the end. 
So the next section is influencing on social media. So you begin this section by writing how loyal readers can use the principles of influence to leverage their social media presence. So what I'd like to do is briefly summarize what's in the book and then have you give your advice on how loyal readers should tackle this in their own lives. Okay. So if you want to grab your coffee, it might be a minute before we're back with you. All right. So the first is liking, which says people prefer to say yes to those that they know and like. There are two things to focus on, similarities and compliments. And you write that if someone is trying to connect with others on LinkedIn, you should include a personal message rather than the standard message, mm -hmm. which would include something that you admire, appreciate, appreciate about them and why you want to connect. The second is reciprocity, which describes the obligation you feel to give back when someone gives to you first. You write that this is why most people have about the same number of followers and following. And I do need to take a moment for a personal soapbox. Uh, loyal readers do not follow someone and either once they follow you or after a few days, unfollow them with your only intention of trying to boost your numbers. I've seen this happen time and time again, where a person will start off with following hundreds, if not thousands of people, with the hope that they're gonna attract new followers based on this principle. It's manipulation, unethical, and frankly, desperate. Okay, so back to our regularly scheduled podcast <laughs> episode. All right, so the third is consensus, which informs us people feel comfortable following the crowd because generally there are safety in numbers. By having a higher number of followers, it's self-enforcing the cycle that gives others the safety to follow you because others, because others do. So the fourth, fourth is authority, which highlights the reality that people like to follow the advice of experts and loyal readers. You need to learn how to highlight your expertise on social media. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to post all the time about the industry you're in or that you have to follow some formula of four non-business related posts to one business related post. People can tell when you're forcing things on them. The fifth is consistency, which tells us that people feel a psychological pressure to behave consistently with, with what they've done previously or set. So the key is knowing what someone has said or done in the past or have them commit to you in some way. All right, the sixth is scarcity, which describes the reality that people want what they can't have or perceive to be rare. So loyal readers, you need to figure out what makes you rare, unique, or different to use this principle of influence. Okay, Brian, welcome back to the conversation. <laughs> Glad <you're> back. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell the loyal readers what principles of influence they should start with first to be more influential in the realm of social media and any other advice that you would want to give to them in regards to social media and using the principles of influence? I, I always think it's good to start with relationship. Mm -hmm. if, if you have that connection because of perhaps uh, friends you have in common, connections you have in common, it's amazing how that will make a difference. Um, not too long ago, I had a meeting with a senior level executive at Nationwide Insurance. So really high up, extremely busy individual, and I finally got 30 minutes on her, on her calendar. And we we're having a really nice conversation. And just before we were going to end, I said, hey, by the way, I forgot to ask you, how do you know Todd Alice? And she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's my uh, BFF. Um, we know each other through church. He's a wonderful man. How do you know him? And I said, I played high school football for him. And we started talking about this guy who was significant to both of us. And here's this high-powered individual who given me 30 minutes before I knew it was more than an hour that we had. Wow. Because of the connection back to that one individual. And I learned this a long time ago that I always will scan somebody's LinkedIn. And if we're going to have a conversation, try to find that one or two people that I know well and ask how they know them. Sometimes it doesn't go somewhere. Sometimes people go, well, we're connected, but I really don't know them. But still, mm -hmm. if they say, how do you know them? I can talk about how significant they were for me. And that still starts to build some um, relationship with that individual. So I think when you go that route to build relationship, um, connecting with people can be really, really good. Certainly connecting on other things like where you went to college, if I see somebody, went to Miami University, I make sure that I mention that, we reminisce about what it was like to go there. But all of those things engender these positive feelings for both of us. It's not just that they're liking me, I'm liking them, and we end up having a more pleasant uh, time. And I'm a big proponent of this. It's called social media. 
It means we should be social. This is not just about you or I or anybody else broadcasting our message all the time, basically using it as an advertising platform. Mm -hmm. It's building relationships so that we can hopefully uh, help each other, connect other people, maybe do business, um, it, but it's not just this big advertising platform. And um, what you just said reminded me of uh, the first time that we talked on the phone, which was you did ask me about a common LinkedIn connection that we had. So again, living what you preach. I, I don't remember off the top of my head who it was. It was uh, Gerald Ladner. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ger yep. Gerald was everybody. Yes. Huge <laughs> number of contacts and he has a big personality. So you don't forget Gerald when you actually get to meet him. Um, now, Brian, when I was actually scanning your LinkedIn profile, I saw something on there that I'd like for you to tell the loyal readers about, which is being a LinkedIn learning author. Is there anything that the loyal readers can learn from you? Can they take courses or do you have material out there that they can learn yes. or read about? So LinkedIn, everybody knows LinkedIn is that professional, you know, the, the professional Facebook in a sense, like mm -hmm. where you go for your professional connections. LinkedIn learning is a part of that. If you have a paid subscription, um, there are more than 14,000 courses on LinkedIn wow. from people who actually do the stuff every day. There's probably nothing you won't find on there. You want to learn how to use um Microsoft Excel, you want to learn about prospecting and sales, just about anything you can think of. And I was introduced to LinkedIn uh, four years ago mm -hmm. from a friend who had already done a number of courses. And so I've now done four courses. And when you use the term LinkedIn learning author, mm -hmm. I actually write the courses. I work with an editor and then we work with their creative people. I go to California, we film the courses. Um, I've got a course on persuasive selling. So it mm -hmm. looks at the sales process and the psychology that's most applicable at every step in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually the book that I'm getting ready to release at the end of the year too, follows that. There's a course on persuading different personality styles. I also have that coming in the book, um, but it looks at different personality styles and which principles are most effective to ethically influence them. I've got a course on persuasive coaching. How do you take the psychology and apply it in the coaching process? And then I've got another one called Building a Coaching Culture Through Timely Feedback. And okay. for people who really enjoy coaching, but they would like to help build it out in their company, even if they're not in a position of authority to do so. Well, very good. Well, loyal, list, uh, loyal readers, please check that out and uh, you can learn more about that. And then we'll, we'll actually talk about your next book at the end of this episode. So okay. stay tuned for the end, guys. All right, so you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. The most important thing you can do is be proactive. Remember, social media is about being social, about interacting with people. The only difference between social media versus traditional networking is the medium. The principles of influence are just as relevant and important online as they are in person. So the final section of the influence and in social media that we're gonna be discussing is, why Facebook doesn't change anyone's opinions. So before we begin this uh, section, let me ask you this, Brian. I've had a few instances on this podcast where I've admitted some of my soapbox issues. Is it worth the time and effort I put into this or should I keep those opinions to myself? Um, it depends on what your goal is. I, I, think, I think Facebook is good for creating awareness you see, because it's it's got so many people, and if people start posting in support of something, you see like, wow, there's there seems to be more support for this than maybe I realized, or that maybe if you get so insulated with people who are very like-minded, you may not realize how big a movement is. Um, but I think in terms of changing people's opinion, Facebook is very different than having a conversation like you or I are having. Or even if you got on a soapbox in this podcast, you have opportunity to really go in depth and explain a position, not just putting out this short little snippet and then somebody's replying to that and other people start chiming in. So I, I think that's a little bit different, but you always have to assess what's my goal mm -hmm. and then what tool, what medium of communication can help me and then how am I going to go about doing that? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That, uh, 
I'll keep that in mind. And I try not to post anything controversial on, on social media, just because it's once it's there, it's there forever. Well, and, and, and I will say some people, mm-hmm. that's how they grow their brand and they make their living. They're, they're controversial. But if you stop and think about your main business is insurance, mm-hmm. you don't know the political affiliation of people that you insure. You don't know their views on lots of things, but you do know that these people need insurance. And, mm-hmm. and that's what you do. And so you don't want to alienate people um, simply because they see that you hold a, an entirely different view on a controversial subject. Exactly. And that's actually that something that I discussed on the podcast with the, in the last book with David Crothers about what happens if you meet with someone, a prospect, and they kind of bring up the fact that you do have differing opinions on a certain subject. Mm-hmm. Um, So you begin this section by writing that Facebook, as you've already said, is almost useless in changing people's opinions and that there are some who may disagree with you, but you firmly believe that because of personal observation and science that it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't work. So the science that backs this up is the principle of consistency, because if someone takes a public active stance, they're going to feel like this internal pressure, external pressure to to stick to it. Mm -hmm. So you go on to write that if a loyal reader takes an active stance and they post something on Facebook, the mere act causes you to believe what you wrote even more than before. And when someone posts, they begin to look for reasons for others to agree with them, which is confirmation bias that we discussed in an earlier episode on the podcast. So Brian, for those loyal readers who are passionate about an issue, what advice would you give to them if they just have to post about something on Facebook? They just can't let it go or they just can't help themselves. What what should they kind of take into account? Well, to say that you can't help yourself, or you can't let it go. I think mm-hmm. it's showing character weakness. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you feel like you just have to do this knowing that the action that you're going to take is probably not going to make a difference. I mean, that's the definition of insanity, right? Mm-hmm. I said it's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Um, I would suggest when I have a question, for example, on a political issue, and I've got people who are like diehard conservative and diehard liberal, I will just contact them personally. And I'll say, you know, I was thinking about this. I saw this online, but I wasn't going to put something out in the public space because, frankly, I don't care what everybody else says. I know you. I trust you. Tell me your view on, on this particular thing. And Josh, every time I do that, I get a thank you for asking. Mm. And then I get a thoughtful response. And I may have some questions about that, but they know I'm not attacking them. I know they're not attacking me. It's to try to understand uh, where somebody's coming from and and why they believe what they believe. Um, But you just don't get that when you put things out on, on, on the public space. It's almost as if and I know we're not together, but if you put your hands up and I put my hands up, if I push a little bit on your hands, you're not going to just naturally give and and you know bring me in and give me a bro hug or anything. You're going to push back. That is a natural response. And so when we're putting things into the public sphere like that and somebody disagrees, they push back. And I have yet to see somebody say, wow, that's a great, that's a great thought. I never considered that. I'm going to have to rethink my position. Mm-hmm. No, because we take that as kind of an attack on our identity. I've put out there what I what I believe, and therefore that is part of me. And when you challenge that, you're challenging me. But I think when we have these one-on-one conversations, and they can be through instant messaging with somebody, mm-hmm. they can be Zoom, they can be sitting at a coffee shop. You have dialogue. And, and, and I make a choice to have those conversations with people that I trust. They may not hold the same views as me, so it's not like I'm just confirming what I believe. They may be very different, but I trust them. And I think they know my character and they trust me, and so we can have dialogue. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers, and I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You 
provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him, I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation, and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at Virtual Intel, that's with two L's, that's virtualintell.com. Go check us out, see what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology, delivered right into your agency, and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just, there's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right, Virtual Intel, cast certified. Okay. Well, that's good advice. And hopefully loyal readers that you can use that in your own personal life and business life as well. So you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. It used to be considered a good thing to be open-minded and willing to change if need be. However, that seems to have gone largely out the window, especially in politics, because the external pressure to remain consistent is so strong. If a politician changes on a position, they're crucified as a flip-flopper, waffler, or wishy-washy. As everyday citizens get more firmly entrenched in the ideology of their party or religion and then take to social media to tell the world what they believe, it will only get tougher to persuade people to change their mind. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a master persuader, you might want to rethink your approach if you want to impact someone else for your cause. My si simple suggestion is this, take it offline. Yeah. Um, the book came out last year and the mm -hmm. book had been in the works for quite a few years. So I don't remember when I originally wrote that. Let's say let's say I had that thought and, and wrote that in 2016. Here mm -hmm. we are four years later. And that confirms we are more polarized now than ever um, as we've gone through. You know, we're in the middle of an election. We've gone through COVID, the uh, economic upheaval. All of the things that we're going through, I think it only confirms right now what I was thinking all those years ago, that Facebook yeah. ain't changing anybody's opinions. It's, yeah. it's causing more harm. I, I would completely, completely agree with that. And that's why some people have even gotten off, you know, social media, or Facebook, or they do for, you know, the political times that we have each year. You know, they, they'll post, hey, I'll be back after the election is because yeah. um, it can be detrimental to your health. So the next section is, but wait, there's more. Um, so this section is your catch-all for stories that didn't quite fit into the other sections of the book, but ones that you wanted to tell. So let's dive in. Now, again, we aren't going to be discussing all the stories, but we're going to discuss uh, my four favorites from the book. And if you know anything about me, you know that I play golf. So of course, the first one we're going to do is Jack Nicholas, Jeremy Macklin, and the power of commitment. Mm -hmm. So you begin this section writing about NFL football player Jeremy Macklin, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, and Baltimore Ravens before retiring. So many years ago, Jeremy was unable to attend training camp because of an undisclosed illness. However, he participated in a couple youth football camps that summer anyways. And Chris Berman, who's a sportscaster for ESPN, asked Jeremy why he participated, and this is how he responded, because I made a commitment. So you write that commitment is a powerful motivator when it comes to influence because of the principle of consistency. And as a reminder, consistency causes an internal psychological pressure to remain consistent in word and deed. So Brian, how can the loyal readers use this principle to get a prospect or a client to say yes to them? Well, it's it, you've got to move away from telling people what to do to mm -hmm. asking them. It's the, it's the act of asking, and when somebody come back, comes back and affirms that, yes, they will do something, that's the commitment that they've made. Mm -hmm. um, if there are other people who hear that, that social pressure also makes that person more likely to follow through because not only did they make that promise to you, they know other people heard it and they don't want to look like somebody who says one thing and does another. Um, so it's retraining ourselves to move away from telling people the things that we need to do to simply asking them. And most of the things that we ask people to do are not major commitments. I mean, when, when you're asking, you know, a potential 
client to get loss runs or, or any of the information that you need, you don't want to say, well, Josh, what I'm going to need from you by next Friday is A, B, and C. You want to say, you know, Josh, for me to um, get you this quote in the, in the time frame that you say you need it, would you be able to get me A and B and C by next Friday? Paul. Mm-hmm. And you just let that silence hang out there until that person says yes. Um, that mere act is more likely to get a lot more people doing what you need them to do, getting you that information in the time frame that you've that you've said. And as we've talked about in some of the earlier episodes, um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask by my drop dead date. If I need it by Friday, I'm going to be asking earlier in the week, right? I'm going to use because, I'm going to give them a reason. I'm going to use all of this psychology to make it easier for them to say yes and then follow through. And I, would, I will end with this. When somebody does something that you want, mm-hmm. you want to reinforce that behavior, you want to make sure that you thank them. So I'd say, you know, Josh, I really appreciate you following through on your word and getting me this information by Friday because now I'm going to be able to get you your quote in a timely manner. You're feeling good now that I recognize yeah. you made a promise and lived up to it. Exactly. So in the second example that you write about, um, the gr- it's about the greatest golfer who ever lived. And yes, I said that. And even if you're a Tiger Woods fan, I think that you have to agree that Jack Nicholas is the greatest golfer who ever lived. On March 2nd, 2005, his 17-month-old grandson accidentally drowned in a hot tub accident. And it was about a month before the biggest turn of the year, which is the Masters, which he's won six times. And when Jack was asked if he would play, he said it was between slim and none. And then you continue on in your writing by saying that no one would fault him for not playing, but he actually did end up playing not only in the Masters, but two other tournaments. And when Jack was asked why, he said, you make commitments and you have got to do them. And so this principle of consistency is such a large internal pressure on you sometimes that you end up following through on your commitment. So you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. Stop making statements and start asking questions. Do this and you'll harness the power of consistency because affirmative answers create commitments. If it got people like Jeremy Macklin and Jack Nicholas to follow through, then it's worth a try. Yep. And I'll say one thing in conclusion of this too. Um, it mentions, uh, I think it was in the in the book, Yes, 50 Scientifically Proven Ways to Be Persuasive, that the older people get, studies show that they tend to be more committed to their word. I think we learn over the course of time how important people following through is. When you first start out in your career, maybe when you're um, you know, in college and high school, it's not as big a deal if somebody doesn't do what they say. But once you get into your career and you realize, like, I can't do my job unless you get me what you say, you can't do your job unless I get you what you need, you start to see that there's an importance. And I think the further you go in a career, the more you see how important it is to be able to rely on people to do what they said. And so we begin to value that more. We just take that in. So Mm -hmm. your, your loyal readers and listeners when you're interacting with somebody and you know let's say that person's 45 50 55 you should recognize that if i can get this person to commit to me they will be more likely to follow through than probably that 20 or 25 year old yeah that's true that's true so the next story that we're going to talk about is pave the way for new year's resolutions now i know we just discussed the principle of consistency in the last section in stories but i wanted to touch on them again because you provide a method or a formula that the loyal readers can use when working towards goals such as a new year's resolution so you begin this section by writing that most people make new year's resolutions but most break them within the first two weeks of the year and i'm just as guilty as the next person you write that there are many reasons why people break them but you provide the loyal readers with the technique using a principle of influence to help keep them. So again, this can apply to other goals such as a sales goal or growth goal of company. It doesn't have to apply just to New Year's resolutions. So Brian, what I'd like to do is to tell the loyal readers about the four things, and then would you mind walking us through how you would implement this method for someone who's in sales? Sure. Okay, so you write that there are four simple things to do using the principle of consistency, and it's the acronym PAVE. So the P stands for public, 
you recommend making a public statement either verbally or in writing, which puts yourself and your reputation on the line. Mm -hmm. The A stands for active. You have to actively do something. The V stands for voluntary. This has to be your goal, not someone else's goal for you. And the E is for effort. And you write that by making the commitment, it needs to require some effort on the person's part. And the more effort you expend setting up the goal, the more likely you are to succeed. Mm-hmm. So now that we know what the acronym means, can you give the how you can you give the loyal readers how they can implement this in their sales career? Okay, so you're wanting it from the perspective of the salesperson, and how can they use that on themselves to get them to do what they need? Correct. Yes, exactly. Um, because the principle of consistency, if I'm going to try to employ that principle to get you to do something, I need to understand what you've said, what you've done, what you believe, and how can I bring that into the communication. What I'm talking about in that chapter is using it on yourself. Mm -hmm. How can I use this principle of consistency? And all of the things that would make you feel more compelled to follow through will make me feel more compelled. So um, when it comes to sales, uh, first thing would be, I'd say, if you're a salesperson, having a, creating a goal and making that goal public. Okay. Letting, letting somebody know, letting your boss know if your boss hasn't, hasn't, uh, establish some type of uh, metric. But if you were to go in and and say to your boss, you know what, I've been thinking about it and I've been looking at the numbers and my goal this year is to bring in $100,000 in revenue in in the agency. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you've said that, that person's going to start to hold you accountable to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing is do something active. Okay. So I put that out there, but what steps can I take in that direction? And so you might, uh, tell somebody and to help fulfill this um, right now I'm committing, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to go to some training and I'm going to um, read a book a month. I'm, I'm going to actively do these things. Okay. That's putting you more on the line. Voluntary is in, in this example, you're the one who came up with the goal. I'm the one who, who stated that if your boss came up with the goal, you never own it as much. Maybe you get to negotiate it a little bit. So you feel some ownership, but um, we are always more committed to things that come from within us than mm-hmm. come from outside. And then finally would be effort. The more effort that you put into it, the less likely you are to abandon it. And, and some of this comes back to the active. Um, rather than just do one or two small active things, making that commitment to say, uh, I'm going to attend two training sessions this year and I'm going to read a book a month, you are now putting forth more effort. So the more effort you put into something, the more likely you are to want to see it through. So all of that psychology that I could use to maybe persuade you, I can use to persuade myself to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. So ninja tricks for yourself, basically. Yep. And and I will will give a shout out to a friend, Dave Salieras, who's in a mastermind group that I meet with biweekly. When I was working on book number two, and this summer, I, I just, you know, like a lot of us, was just feeling a little mired and stalled because of COVID mm-hmm. and things. And I said something about the book, and um, and I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I have it done, you know, by year end, early next year. And he goes, no, I want a date. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. he goes, no, I want a date. And I said, okay, end of October. And, and that mere act of publicly doing something, knowing these guys are going to hold me accountable, got me off center. And now the book is going to be ready to get to my editor by the beginning of October. Very good. Very good. So you conclude this section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. Sometimes the person you need to influence is yourself. Try to pave the way to your success and enjoy the results. If you failed at your resolution or other types of personal change, then why not give the pave approach a try? So one public share your resolutions with other two, Active, take some active steps. Three, voluntary, make it your goal and own it. And four, effort. Remember, more effort equals more commitment. So the next one one that we'll be talking about is maximizer or satisfier. Does it make a difference? So before we get into this topic, let me ask you this. Brian, are you a maximizer or a satisfier? I would have said I was a maximizer before I was very focused. Uh, I've learned to step back and say sometimes good enough is good enough. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm more of a satisfier now. 
Okay, very good. Good to know for the loyal readers. So you begin this section by asking the loyal readers if they remember when an adult figure in their life would say something like, you know, there are two kinds of people in this world, dot, dot, dot. And then they give you their broad take on human race, on the human race. And so your two for this book is the maximizer versus the satisfier. So this concept comes from the book, Welcome to Your Brain, and the author defines these two terms. So here's what was written about people who are considered maximizers. Maximizers spend a lot of time worrying about difference, no matter how small. In a, consumer, in a consumer society with choices everywhere, maximizers suffer from an inability to recognize when an alternative is good enough. Indeed, from an economic perspective, spending the additional time on maximization doesn't make sense since your time itself has monetary value. And then for satisfiers, this is what was written. Satisfiers look until they find something good enough and then stop. Satisfiers are decisive, don't look back, and have little regret even about mistakes. So you then write that the principles of influence that you've provided to the loyal readers act as mental shortcuts because of the information overload that we all experience. So these principles of influence help us process information quickly to make decisions we are satisfied with. Brian, would you mind walking us through an example of how this concept works with buying a smartphone? Um, I believe the loyal this will help the loyal readers when making a decision in their personal lives. And if you want to follow along, it begins on page 140. Yeah. Um, first of all, I would say that there is there is a place for people who are maximizers, um, people who focus on the smallest details. Uh, brain surgeon. I want that brain surgeon to be a maximizer. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But then there are things that, that don't require us to stand and, and analyze to death, uh, you know, what, what peanut butter we're going to buy or certain things like that. So when, when it comes to satisficing, the example that I use in the book there is like a phone. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you may have a phone and, and you know, this new phone is going to come out. And you're like, oh, wow, it's got all these features, but I don't want to buy it right now because the price is going to be overinflated. I'm going to wait till the price comes down. When did the right. phone come down? When the next phone's announced that it's going to come out. And so you can see yourself going, oh, boy, that new phone, the price is good, but I really want to hold out for this other phone because it's going to have this one feature that I need. And then that phone comes out and you think the price is too much or you're going to wait a little bit. And you can see the cycle that you get into. And right. phone. And, and most of the people I know who buy a phone realize after a while they don't use a fraction of the capabilities of, of the phone. I still have an iPhone 7 Plus. Now I know they're on the like 11th generation or something, mm -hmm. um, but I look at it and I'm like, I will use that phone, uh, mm -hmm. eight, nine, 10, 11, I will use it exactly as I'm using the seven. So I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I just don't feel like I need to upgrade. I am satisfied with mm -hmm. what I have. And even though those other phones might technically be better, it's not worth the extra time, effort, and everything that I've got to put into to go get that new phone. Well, loyal readers, that is great advice on how you can use this in your personal lives because we don't want to talk about just your business life, but how this, these principles of influence can impact your personal life. So thank you for that. So we're going to conclude the section by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. Your mom, dad, or grandpa had their two-tier classification system. Science divides people into two categories, maximizers and satisfiers. You'll be more persuasive by not only understanding your category, but also which category those you're trying to persuade fall into. That will make your persuasion process much easier. So the final one that we'll be talking about is the secret to happiness. And this is actually the final section of the book, and it's a great one to end on. And you write that you believe the secret to happiness can be summed up in the proverb, Happy is the man who wants what he has. So I'll say that again, loyal readers for you. Happy is the man who wants what he has. And uh, this proverb is related to the principle of liking. So when you teach about this principle, you tell people that when you try to get someone to like you by tapping into similarities or offering up genuine praise, you begin to convince yourself that the other person is likable. In other words, the very same things that will cause them to like you will also cause you to like them. So the next thing you write about is something I discovered for myself when we became Facebook friends. And you write that you post a lot about your wife and daughter and that those that may not know you well think you're kind of living on the edge. So has that ever caused an issue for you, Brian, 
with some of the things that you posted on Facebook? Uh, no, it, it really hasn't. Um, my yeah. wife, we've been married a long time. And so she knows mm -hmm. me very well. She knows my sense of humor. I can say things and do things that will frankly be jaw dropping to some people. And when she starts laughing, then they realize that it's a joke. She's like, no, no, that's a sense of humor. And, mm -hmm. and because you can see me, you, you know, I have a pretty serious look and, and I, mm -hmm. I recognize that. In fact, my look, Josh is so serious that this is true. Mm -hmm. My birthday last year, um, one of the presents that my wife got me, her name is Jane, she mm -hmm. got me smiling lessons. She said, you won't smile enough. And so I hired somebody to teach you how to smile. And um, it was a guy who taught our improv classes. Mm -hmm. But um, but what I recognize, too, is based on how I look and, and all of my mannerisms, when I do and say some of the things that I do, that mm -hmm. what makes it funny because people don't yeah. expect it to come out of my mouth. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there there are many times where I will post things and people are like, "Holy cow!" But those who yeah. followed me for a while, they know it's all in jest, and because they followed me, they know how much I love my wife. Because I also post a lot of stuff that really holds her up and and praises her. And mm -hmm. I will say this to you, Josh, and to everybody who's listening: anything that I do in life is better when she's there anything because i she knows me better than anybody in the world i can totally be myself i can laugh and joke and do the things that you know if i didn't know somebody i might think oh would they get bothered by that but when it's her and i and they can see the the relationship then it's totally good and so and the, the, my friends love her mm -hmm. i always tell people i know you like me but you will love my wife and that's always the case and i'm not bothered by that I think it's a wonderful reflection on me that I was able to persuade her to marry me. So um, I say that because if anybody were to start following me on Facebook, you want to know that's the foundation. Everything else there is just I've got a strange sense of humor and I I express it in funny ways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anytime that any of my friends, specifically in the insurance industry, who have not met my wife and they'll meet her at a conference or some place, will always end up telling me that they like her a lot more than me. And they're like, how, how, how did you get her to marry you? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm very blessed that she did. So we definitely have that, that in common. So I want to finish up this section by reading the last paragraph of the book before we get to the influence people question. Um, so this is what you wrote. Now, let's be honest. Using an example of our significant other, there will all be, always be someone who is better looking, funnier, smarter, etc. You can fill in the trait and there's someone who is more than your significant other. However, we can still make the choice to focus on them and all that they are. I tell people if God had come to me and said I can make the perfect mate, I would have not gotten someone as wonderful as Jane. Why? Because I would not have been able to be creative enough nor had enough faith that God would really give me someone who possesses all the traits she has. The more I choose to focus on that, the more appreciative and the more I appreciate and love her. Is she perfect? Nope, but neither am I. Nonetheless, I am a very happy man. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, when I read this, I thought about something that I had said about my own wife that is similar in that it was, Hannah will always be better than my dream woman because she's real and that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. So before Brian and I answer the influence question, is there anything you'd like to add about this section of the book? Uh, yeah, I would say, and I don't remember if I wrote this in there, but I had lunch yesterday with a friend and we were talking and I made a comment. I said, I'm um, content, but I'm not complacent. Mm -hmm. I can look around at what I have and feel really good about it. I can get done with a public presentation and not have the, oh, that didn't go well at all. You know, most of the time I say, that is the best presentation I've ever given. Mm -hmm. It's not as good as the next one that I'm going to give. So I'm content, I'm happy. I can look at that and enjoy that, but I'm not complacent like, oh, that's good enough. But I'm also not in this, I'm gonna um, chase success and I'm gonna chase all these things. No, I just say, I want to get a little bit better today than I was yesterday. And if I can get a little better tomorrow than I was today, that's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for the people that I interact with. Um, so again, I'm happy with who I am today, but I'm not complacent about it as if this is as good as it's going to get. And I think that always drives me on to, to um, be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that is great. Not only will it lead to more happiness, but just better growth for, for each individual person listening. Yeah. And it's better for it's better for everybody that I interact with, too, because mm -hmm. I don't think somebody wants to hire the Brian Ahern from 2014. Not mm -hmm. That was bad. I was as good as I could be at 2014, but I'm a lot better in 2020. And I plan on being a lot better in 2022, 26, et cetera, because I'm always going to be looking for ways to grow. And that will benefit any of my clients. I like that. I like that a lot. So you can conclude this section and the book by answering the question, how can you influence people? And here's what you wrote. I have a challenge for you as you finish the book. Start making the choice today on what you have. That can be your spouse, family, home, friends, career, or anything else. Make the choice to focus on the positive and begin to appreciate the people in your life and the things you have. I really believe if you do so, liking will work on causing you to find more peace, contentment, and happiness. Mm -hmm. It was a secret, but now it's out in the open. And with that, we've reached the end of today's episode and the end of the series. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining me for book three, episode six of Influence People. Brian, can you remind the loyal readers one final time how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you don't make uh, a mention in that that you heard me on the podcast, just know that I will reach back to you and ask you how you found me. Uh, again, it's I, I like to understand why people are reaching out, but it's also a great opportunity for some social interaction to make social media social. The other would be going to my website, influencepeople.biz. My phone number is there, my email is there. Uh, you can buy the book. You can see the previews of the LinkedIn Learning. You can listen to other podcasts. I've been on tremendous number of resources there for you to continue your learning. Well, very good. Now, Brian, you we talked about it earlier in the episode. You have another book coming out later this year. Can you give the loyal readers any sort of sneak peek into what they can expect from this new book? Sure. The book is um, tentatively called Persuasive Selling. I'm not, haven't landed on that entirely yet. Um, I'm also leaning toward uh, relationship selling for, or uh, persuasive selling for relationship-driven agents, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, right now, it's out in the hands of a couple dozen um, insurance professionals, mostly agents, some um, higher-up company people. I want their feedback. And, you know, I'm asking them, does it hit the high points of selling? What have I missed? And, and taking that feedback before I give it to my editor. But the basic premise uh, is this, Josh. It's not a general sales book that got kind of watered down as I was trying to write it. So I decided my niche market is insurance. This is geared very specifically towards insurance agents. It looks at eight steps in the sales process and which principles of influence are most applicable. Where are you gonna get the most bang for the buck as you're thinking about your prospecting, your first meetings, qualifying, presenting, et cetera. What principles will, will help you achieve the, the goal in that step of the process? It also has a section on dealing with different personality styles. And so if you're going to deal with a driver, an expressive, an amiable, a logical, which principles are most effective to move those people in the direction you need to move them? So it really is that combination of the sales and then dealing with the personality styles. And, and I will tell you, and I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to say this, Whenever you create something, you're not sure the response you're going to get. But the response mm -hmm. I've been getting from insurance agents has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, where literally somebody said, hey, I'll compensate you, but can I take the PDF version that I've already got because I want to give it to my staff right away. This mm -hmm. thing is going to be gold for them. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased with how that's how that's coming about. And I will say this, too, and you're the first person on a podcast that I've told this to. I'm actually, as, as those people are reviewing that book, I'm, I'm writing a third book. Oh, wow. And the third book is going to be totally different than the first two in that it's, it's literally going to be like a parable or a story mm -hmm. about a young guy who begins to learn a little bit about psychology in college but dismisses it. But then as he gets into the real world with his job, and he's not an insurance agent, um, he starts to make connect the dots. Like, oh, I learned that. This is how it plays out in the real world. And so he learns through his training programs, his boss, mentor, mm -hmm. a business coach, his wife, other people. He just mm -hmm. putting the pieces together. And I have not had so much fun writing something I can't even remember because I literally sit down and kind of make it up as I go. Like, well, oh, wow. next phase in this guy's life. And I just sit down and, and I start writing and it is a blast. So I am 
I'm really excited in general. I'm excited for the next book to come out because mm -hmm. it will be the basis also of a workshop. But I'm really excited about this other book because it's going to hit an audience that probably would never pick up a sales book or they may not pick up a, a psychology book or something mm -hmm. like that. But they want to read a story and learn from it. Well, that's that's exciting. Hopefully I will have you back on the podcast for those two books once they already come out. So I cannot wait to read those. So thank you so much for sharing that and for making the announcement of the third book on on the podcast here. So loyal readers, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Agency Intelligence podcast. And if you have 60 seconds to spare today, would you please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform? Because when you do that, others just like yourself will find us and we'll be able to impact more people because of you. Again, if you haven't already purchased Brian's book, check out the show notes where there's a link to purchase it on Amazon or do so on his website, influencepeople.biz. As a reminder, we are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash explain this book to me. And we'd love if you can go out, like our page, because we want to connect with you outside of the podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts or anything that you want to share with me, please email me at josh at agency-intelligence.com. And loyal readers, thank you once again for downloading the sixth episode of our third book of the Explain This Book to Me podcast, where I sit down with authors, thought leaders, and visionaries to explain the book to you and have them answer the questions that I have. Remember to be safe, be healthy, and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book to Me.